0: Well, if you uh, grabbed your Advent devotional to follow along with the sermon series last week or today, you can go ahead and grab that and we'll get right into it. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise that whenever we open the Bible, the book that we as followers of Jesus believe you have written, you are speaking to us even despite us. Father, we're so thankful that whether we come into this room believing or doubting, hurting or happy, uh, eager to hear from you or just sort of heavy in our spirits, no matter where we've been, what we've done, we thank you that when your word, your inspired, inerrant word is open, you are speaking. And so, Father, our simple prayer is that right now, no matter who we are, that you would speak to us. I pray that you will also, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that what I say will always and only make much of Jesus, that my words will fall to the floor and yours will go forth into our hearts. For Jesus' sake and his glory, we pray. Amen. How do you respond when God brings unexpected circumstances into your life? You know, I find that one of the hardest things to submit to in life are circumstances that don't meet my expectations or match my desires. And yet life in a fallen world is just chock full of circumstances that we don't expect. I mean, who among us is ready to look at our lives and say, yep, that's exactly what I expected and just what I wanted? I mean, can you imagine... How wonderful life would be if we could learn the secret of cheerfully submitting to any and all circumstances. So uh, this week, my youngest daughter, Sage, decided that 3.45 a.m. would just be the new normal for our entire family to be awoken and for her to sort of happily demand an ongoing supply of milk, food, and books. Now... The dictionary definition of submission is to yield to a superior force. A- and I did. Okay? I got up out of bed, and I gave her the ongoing supply of food, milk, and books, but I wasn't cheerful about it. I was cranky. But, but can you imagine how exhilarating life would be if we learned the secret of cheerful submission to all seasons and circumstances? As we begin this morning, I want us all to consider this question. What circumstances are you facing that don't conform to your desires or meet your expectations? Just think for a moment about your life. What circumstances are you facing that don't conform to your desires or meet your expectations? I want you to keep... Those circumstances in the back of your mind for a moment. Uh, Last week, we began the Advent season by exploring the birth announcement of John, who was to be the forerunner who would prepare God's people for King Jesus, much like the Old Testament prophet Samuel prepared God's people for King David. And last week, when we saw the, the birth announcement of John, we now see this week the birth announcement of Jesus in the very next words. And this is intentional on Luke's part. Luke is intentionally comparing John's birth announcement to Jesus' birth announcement in order to highlight Jesus's greatness. Right, so, for example we see that, of course, both men's births are announced by an angel, and though John is to be great, Jesus is to be greater still. John is to be a prophet of the Most High God, but Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Most High God. John is to have a miraculous birth because his mother was previously aged and barren, but Jesus's birth is going to be unmatched because his mother is a virgin. See, whereas John is to prepare the way for the coming one. Jesus is the one to come who will rule and reign forever. But the comparisons between John and Jesus are not the only comparisons happening in these birth announcements. Luke isn't just comparing John to Jesus. He's also comparing Zechariah to Mary. Luke is comparing the way Zechariah responded to the unexpected promise that he would have a son in his old age, John, to the way Mary responds to the announcement that she'll have an unexpected child in her virginity named Jesus. You may remember from last week that Zechariah responds to God saying through the angel that he's going to have a child with a question that sort of reveals his unbelieving cynicism. And so the angel curses him with silence until John is born. But Mary is different. After being told that she's going to bear not just a child, but the Lord himself as a virgin, she responds with an honest question. So Luke 1 verse 34, she asks, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? So this isn't the cynical, unbelieving questioning of Zechariah. This is the questioning of faith and wonder. Mary is essentially saying, I believe that God's word is always trustworthy and true. So I just have an honest question. How's this going to work? You know, practically speaking, since I'm a virgin. Rather than receiving a curse of silence for her honest question, the angel answers and says, that Mary will conceive a child by the power of God's very Holy Spirit. But don't miss, the angel never asks Mary if she's sort of up for these unexpected circumstances. The angel just says, this is gonna happen. And I think one of the most often overlooked aspects of Advent is just how costly these unexpected circumstances are gonna be for Mary. According to Old Testament law, for example, Joseph could have had Mary stoned to death for her seeming infidelity. So these unexpected circumstances actually put Mary's life at risk. Now, we read later in the Gospels that Joseph was a just man, and so he decided to just divorce Mary quietly. So this unexpected circumstance doesn't cost Mary her life, but it does seem that it may cost her Her marriage. Now we know that Mary's life and her marriage are spared. But we also know from the insults that were hurled at Jesus during his earthly ministry that for the rest of her life, Mary was thought of as something of a whore by her community that didn't buy the virgin conception. See, we often overlook just how costly this unexpected birth announcement would be for Mary. So let's look together at how she responds to these most unexpected circumstances. Luke chapter one, verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word knowing full well that this unexpected birth announcement will be so costly to her, she responds by saying, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, that's Christian discipleship in a sentence or two. It's cheerful submission to God in all circumstances, no matter the cost. You know, Mary's response reminds me of Romans 12.1, where the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, the Christian life is a whole life of worship offered to God as servants. We don't just worship with our lips, we worship with the song of our whole life. And in the same way, in the face of these unexpected circumstances that will cost Mary dearly, she says, well, I mean, my life isn't mine anyway. Yeah, I'm the servant of the Lord anyhow, this life is offering to him, so if these are the circumstances he wants to bring, so be it. Mary is enjoying the liberating freedom of cheerful submission to one who is greater. And Jesus came to earth at Christmas to give us that same freedom. As as Paul Tripp writes in his excellent devotional, the coming of the infant king means the gracious destruction of the kingdom of self and a loving welcome to the kingdom of God. The coming of the sovereign Savior means the end of self-rule and a welcome to submit to the plans and purposes of one greater. See, when Mary responds to the most unexpected of costly circumstances by saying, well, I'm a servant of the Lord anyway, so let your word be true, she's revealing the big idea of our passage this morning, the big idea of our second week of Advent, which is this. Cheerfully submit to King Jesus. Jesus. Even when his ways in your life seem unwise or his commands seem burdensome, cheerfully submit to King Jesus in all seasons and in all circumstances. The Son of God took on flesh, lived among us, died in our place, and rose again to liberate us from the eternal hell of self-rule so that we could enjoy the king and live for the kingdom that we were made for. The gospel frees us to cheerfully submit to King Jesus. Now listen, I know myself, and I think I know you. And so I know that when, say for example, circumstances in life go just way different than you had hoped and Jesus says, don't covet a different kind of life. You know, I, I know that when parenting our children means consistent discipline, even though I'd rather take the easy way out and Jesus says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Like, I know that when I'm insulted and Jesus says, don't insult in return, I know that when money is tight and Jesus says, even in this season, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. I know that when sexual sin looks like a wonderful escape from my crazy life and Jesus says, don't even look with lustful intent. I know that when loving my neighbor doesn't fit my schedule and Jesus says, love as you've been loved. I know that when taking the gospel Wherever Jesus is called is going to be costly. And I go, I'm not so sure I want to bear that cost. Look, I know that cheerful submission during unexpected and undesired circumstances can sound like nails on a chalkboard. I know that about us. And so I think the question we need to wrestle with this morning is why? Why cheerfully submit to Jesus when his ways in our life seem unwise? or when his commands even seem burdensome. Why cheerfully submit to King Jesus? Well, we're gonna see two reasons in our passage, and both have to do with who Jesus is. And explore, in exploring these two reasons, I also hope to sort of take head-on uh, two of at least my common objections to cheerfully submitting to Jesus. So, cheerfully submit to King Jesus, why? First, because Jesus is the wise king. And second, because Jesus is the eternal king. So the first reason why with Mary we cheerfully submit to King Jesus is because Jesus is the wise king. And we see that in Luke chapter one, verses 30 to 32. It says, and the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, Most High is a common name for the true God of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And the first place that we see God called the Most High is in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20 when Melchizedek, king of Salem, blesses Abram, and he says, blessed be Abram by God most high. Well, who is God most high? What's that mean? Possessor of heaven and earth. So the name most high refers to God as the one who made all things, owns all things, and knows all things about everything, including the unexpected circumstances that you're facing and I'm facing. He's God most high. And Jesus is said to be the son of God most high. So what does that mean? Hebrews chapter one in the New Testament says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high see, as Son of the Most High, Jesus is the one through whom and by whom everything was created. Jesus is the one who upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. He is the one who knows all things about everything you're facing and I'm facing. He's the wise king. Okay, so, how does knowing Jesus as the wise king specifically help us cheerfully submit to King Jesus in all circumstances. Well, think for a moment maybe about one of the common reasons why uh, cheerful submission to Jesus can be challenging for us. Because we think we know better. One of the reasons why cheerful submission to Jesus in all circumstances is because we think we know better. So, for example, when Sage wakes up at 3.45 a.m., and i sort of grumble at god you know maybe bark at my wife begrudge my daughter what i'm doing all of that because i believe i know better than jesus about what should be happening at 3:45 a.m. i've deemed the only wise option for 3:45 a.m. to be sleep and so i won't cheerfully submit to jesus for anything less see so do, do you see how one of the main reasons why we struggle to cheerfully submit to King Jesus is because in the details of our lives, we often say in our heart of hearts, he's just not very wise. I think I know better. So when you're in conflict with someone and Jesus says, forgive and reconcile, you go, in the abstract, I know you're wise, but in my situation, that doesn't seem like such a good idea. You know, When Jesus says, lend your money to the poor, and you go, yeah, in general, I think you're wise, Jesus, but I found some loopholes in this situation where I just really think I know a little bit better. So again, the question is, what circumstances are you facing that don't meet your desires or match your expectations? What obedience is King Jesus calling you to that maybe doesn't quite fit the agenda of your kingdom? Do you see that maybe one of the reasons why cheerful submission can be so hard for us is deep down we think we know better? And look, if Jesus is just some baby in a manger, then you're right. And we should just get on being grumpy about the lives that aren't turning out the way we had exactly hoped. But, if the baby in the manger is the one through whom and for whom and by whom all things were made, if the baby in the manger is the one who possesses all things, if the baby in the manger actually upholds the universe by the word of his power and knows all things about everything that you're going through, if he's the son of the most high, the wise king, well then we can start putting off our grumpy disobedience and begin cheerfully submitting to King Jesus because he's the wise king and he knows better and he's for us and loves us. See, the first reason why we cheerfully submit to King Jesus, even in unexpected circumstances or under commands that seem burdensome, is because he's the wise king the son of the most high. Now secondly, the second reason why we cheerfully submit to Jesus in all things is because the baby in the manger was none other than the eternal king. Luke chapter one, verse 32. And the Lord God will give him, that is Jesus, the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Like now, we, we already know that Jesus is related to King David through his adopted father, Joseph. But the angel Gabriel is saying so much more than that about King Jesus. You see, back in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel, God made an eternal promise to David. And he said to David these words, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God promised David an offspring who would rule on his throne forever. Now, who do you think David thought that would be? Well, Solomon, of course. Wealthiest man in the land, had more wisdom than anyone on the earth. He started incredibly well. But of course, by the end of Solomon's life, the kingdom was about to be Divided. Solomon himself had become a total disaster, and instead of ruling forever, he died. But the Old Testament prophets that followed promised that a greater son of David was coming, still a greater king than Solomon was coming, a redeemer, a messiah, a savior, the Christ. And the prophet Isaiah promises his arrival with these words, For to us a child is born. the angel is saying that baby that's coming will be none other than the messianic, Davidic, eternal king come to rule his people in perfect peace. The savior came as a king. Have you ever wondered why? Why did the savior come as a king? I think the answer is actually relatively straightforward because we've all rejected God's rule in favor of self-rule. See, in our sinfulness, we all tend to think of submission to authority, not our own, as a loss of our freedom. We all have a greater allegiance to the kingdom of self than the kingdom of God. Just consider the three-word description the New Testament gives for what sin does to every person. Lived for themselves. The reason the Savior had to come as a king was to dethrone us from the eternal hell of self-rule and usher us into the peace and liberation of God's rule. As, again, Paul Tripp writes in his Advent devotional, Jesus placed himself under the broken and unjust human rule in order to liberate us from self-rule and transform us into people who celebrate and willingly submit to his rule. The coming of the infant king means the gracious destruction of the kingdom of self and a loving welcome to the kingdom of God. The king would die as a criminal so that criminals against his rule would be welcome into his throne room and live with all the rights and privileges of being members of his royal family. The gospel is good news that the king has come, lived, died, and been resurrected to free us from the eternal condemnation that we deserve for our treasonous self-rule And free us so that now and forever we can live for the king and the kingdom that we were made for. But don't miss the angel Gabriel's emphasis. The angel Gabriel's emphasis isn't that Jesus is king. That is true. But you notice what he repeats the emphasis is that he's the eternal king. See, Jesus has not come to rule us for a day or a lifetime, but for a blissful eternity. That's why the closing chapters of the Bible describe this beautiful eternal kingdom where Jesus is king. Revelation 21 says, John is speaking, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the kingdom that our king is preparing. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. There's not gonna be any more chaos. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It is gonna be unspeakably beautiful. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, yes, (laughs) a loud voice from the throne. The eternal kingdom, where there will be perfect peace and joy, has a king. It's good to be ruled by the right king. Freedom is not a lack of submission. It's submission to the right king. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. (laughs) Jesus is going to be our king forever. I'm so happy about it. So let's consider the question again. How does knowing Jesus as the eternal king uniquely help us cheerfully submit to King Jesus? Jesus. How does knowing Jesus as the eternal king help us cheerfully submit? Well, consider maybe a second reason why cheerfully submitting to Jesus is so hard for us. Because we're afraid. We're afraid. Deep down, most of us are afraid that if we cheerfully submit to Jesus in all areas of life, it's just not gonna go that well for us. Like, if I cheerfully submit my finances to Jesus, I'm not sure it's really gonna go well for me. If I cheerfully submit my sexuality to Jesus, I'm not sure it's gonna go well for me. If I cheerfully submit my worldview to Jesus, I might be thought of as being on the wrong side of history. If I cheerfully submit my vocation to Jesus, I might get laughed at. We're afraid. And all those fears are completely understandable if Jesus' kingdom is temporary. But if Jesus is the eternal king, who is going to usher his followers into a new heavens and a new earth where we will enjoy his presence with unbridled happiness forever, then we can endure whatever losses following Jesus may mean here and now. I mean, there's nothing you're going to lose in following Jesus you were ever meant to keep anyway. And so whatever we lose in cheerfully submitting to Jesus, Jesus says we will receive back a hundredfold in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. All our fears are assuaged when we realize Jesus, no temporary king, he's the eternal king. The coming of the infant king means the gracious destruction of the kingdom of self and a loving welcome to the kingdom of God. Have you submitted to the all-wise eternal king who has come to rescue you? Have you given Jesus your sin, received his forgiveness, and been welcomed into his eternal rule? Have you come to the end of sort of trying to earn King Jesus' favor by cooperating with him by your good works, have you come to the end of yourself and embrace Jesus as the liberating king who liberates you from the bondage of eternal self-rule and welcomes you into his kingdom? If not, let today be the day you give Jesus your sin and receive him as your only hope in life and in death. If you're not sure how to do that, there's even a uh, sample prayer on your connect card on your chair that'll help give you language for embracing Jesus as Lord. Now remember, that prayer won't save you, only Jesus saves, but that prayer helps give you language. And if you are embracing Jesus today, if you're praying that prayer, check that box, drop your card in the orange box in the back so that we can follow up with you. And if you have embraced Jesus as your king, I wanna welcome you to his feast today. Communion or the Lord's Supper is the meal by which we remember that our king conquered us by dying for us. He liberated us. Our king liberated us by going to a cross. And so when we come to the tables, anytime during the next three songs, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you come to the tables in front or in back, there are gluten-free options in the back. When you tear off a piece of bread, it's a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken. You tip it in the cup, it's a symbol of his blood that was shed. When you eat it, remember Your king went to a cross for you. Who else are you gonna submit to but him? And as we respond to him in in prayer and in worship, if there are things going on in your life or maybe you're not sure how to submit to King Jesus in a certain area, you want prayer for anything, there'll be folks in the back, they'd love to pray with you. But as we are worshiping, as we are praying, I also wanna uh, ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, ask God to spontaneously bring to mind maybe some words of encouragement as we seek to cheerfully submit to Jesus that might build up the rest of us. Now ask God, would you pour out the gift of prophecy on us during this time? If God does bring something to mind, please don't be shy. Come to the front. We'll weigh it according to Scripture and always communicate it only as is appropriate. But My friends, the wonderful news of Advent is that our Savior came as a king to liberate us from self-rule so that we could enjoy his kingdom now and forever. Welcome to the cheerful kingdom. Let's celebrate together, amen? Amen. Jesus, thank you that you are the king who has come to conquer Satan's sin, death, and our self-rule by taking the cross for us. In joy and gratitude now, we lift up our hearts and our voices to you in worship. Have your way among us, Jesus. Pray that if there are ways that we need specifically encouraged, specifically convicted, specifically comforted, that you would do that work in us as we worship you. We love you and praise you. You're the all-wise, eternal king. Amen.